So here is uh, an idea or a thought to launch us into this week's discussion. And uh, this may be one that triggers something in you that you need to talk about for a while uh, after service today. But listen, uh, your parents' behavior, uh, not their advice uh, or the teachable moments that they had, determined whether or not um, you wanted to be like them or if you even wanted to be with them when you got to the point in life where you got to choose those things. Uh, think about that. It, it was how they behaved um, towards you. It was how they behaved uh, towards uh, each other uh, as, as you were growing up. That is the trajectory of your relationship with your parents um, was determined by how they behaved. And uh, that, that's a hard thing for some of us to grasp or actually maybe a harder thing because it should give us all pause uh, at least those of us who are in the process of parenting within the room, it should give us pause because um, chances are your behavior, not your advice, not how wise you are, not how well you handle teachable moments, but your behavior uh, is going to determine um, whether or not your children want to be like you when they grow up or if they even want to like you. <laughs> and that's a little scary for some of us because as we look back on our parenting so far and the way that we handle ourselves in other situations when our kids are watching, maybe, maybe, maybe our behavior hasn't been the best. And so in a similar way, along that same idea, but just slightly different, um, your parents' behavior determined how much respect you had or have for them. Isn't that true when we think back on it, right? And, and here's why that's important, because respect, especially um, uh, when you get outside of uh, mandatory respect, like uh, work environments or not, you know, actually even with that, but respect within any type of relationship creates influence. If you don't respect somebody, they're not going to have a big influence on you. Uh, as to what you do. And the odds are that this is all going to be true between you and your children as well. The amount of respect that you have, if you want influence with your children later, and you will, you must figure out a way to gain your children's respect now. And, spoiler alert, you cannot demand <laughs> their respect. And you cannot strong on them into respect. The way you maintain their respect is through the way that you behave towards them and towards others when they are watching. Now we'll get back to a little bit more of that in a minute, but we are on part two of this series in parenting. Um, and uh, I've, got, I've got a few less people here than last week's uh, opening, so uh, I don't know, maybe I scared some, <laughs> some people off with how we were gonna start approaching uh, this parenting thing. Um, but as I told you last week, this is the first time I've done a full series on parenting, and uh, I've decided to do it now. But disclaimer, I haven't decided to do it now because I've got it all figured out. <laughs> 
and none of you have it all figured out either. Um, I've decided to do it now. Uh, I, I'm still making mistakes as I go. I'm learning as I move along. Um, and I've learned a few things along the way, but I've decided to do it now because as my children are getting closer and closer to that point where uh, they're, if we do it right, are going to be leaving the house in the not too distant future, then um, I feel I've learned a few things that maybe I can pass on to you and then most of them from mistakes that I've made. Now, last week as we started, we connected two very uncomfortable things. I don't know if it was uncomfortable for you. It was uncomfortable for me talking about it, but we connected two very uncomfortable dots, uh, which are uh, parenting and being in a healthy marriage or relationship while doing that. And we talked about the tension that there is uh, between what is real and what is ideal. That there's that ideal that everybody points to, maybe this is the thing that everybody should strive to, but none of us achieve the ideal, and there's a whole lot of real that happens in the world, and you have to deal with the real while still choosing to look towards and point the ideal, which is what made Jesus so amazing, because in the middle of that tension, uh, that, that tension between what is the ideal and what is the real, um, he never dumbed down the truth to make people feel better, right? He... And in the middle, with his feet firm, firmly planted in the real that was going on in people's lives around them, he still pointed towards the ideal. And while he never dumbed down the ideal, he never turned down the grace either for the people who didn't live up to the ideal. And, and not, I don't know, not too often, I don't think I ask you to raise your hands in church, but how many of you would be willing to admit you haven't hit the ideal? Right, <laughs> which, thank God for the mercy of Christ, right? Thank God. But we, even though none of us are achieving the ideal, we still are gonna point towards it and strive towards it and let our kids see there is an, an ideal to shoot for, right? Now, oddly enough with Jesus, the people who felt short of the ideal and never measured up to it, um, they really liked Jesus, and they flocked to him and gathered around him. In fact, the only group that didn't like Jesus were those who held up the ideal while at the same time doing nothing to help those who were falling short of it. Who held up the ideal and offered zero grace to people who were dealing with the real things of life and were not able to achieve that ideal. Uh, on one occasion, these people, this group of people, they came to Jesus and they essentially said, Jesus, uh, you've hurt our feelings with some things that you've said. And Jesus, Jesus, uh, he looked at them and he wasn't having it. He wasn't gonna go with that. He, here's what Jesus said to them when they said, you've heard our feelings. Jesus replied, you experts in the law, woe to you. And just so you know, you don't ever wanna be on the receiving end of a woe to you from Jesus. <laughs> that is bad news. He said, woe to you because you load people down with the burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. In other words, you religious leaders, you, uh, you load people down with the ideal, but do nothing to navigate the realities of life that people have to live in that keep them from attaining it. But Jesus was different. As I said, his feet were firmly planted in the reality of life and offered grace to the people who were dealing with that. Now, if we're talking about parenting, right, and 
you've read a whole lot of the Bible, and I mentioned this last week. Um, when it comes to family and parenting, uh, there are zero good examples in the Bible. They just aren't there. Now, you want to find family dysfunction? Bible's your go-to source. It is full of it. But the good examples aren't there. Um, Jesus, Jesus, listen, you talk about family dysfunction. Jesus didn't even get along with his own siblings. They thought he was crazy. Uh, a couple weeks ago, some of you may remember his mother <laughs> grabbing him in the middle of him addressing a crowd and saying, pay no mind to him. He's lost his mind. Right? Jesus couldn't even get his own family dynamic seemed to be messed up. But, but, but then, of course, after the resurrection, there was this all collective, oh, moment from the rest of his family. Oh, now it all makes sense. <laughs> now we get, now, now we understand, right? But Jesus and the authors of the New Testament, what they did was they paved the way forward. They pointed the way forward. And Jesus never specifically addressed parenting, right? But, he laid the foundation for New Testament parenting and the way that we should parent um, with the foundation of New Testament behavior. When he laid down our, our, our uh, standards of behavior as followers of him, he was at the same time laying down the standards of parenting, right? Because remember, your behavior is going to determine whether or not your children want to be like you or will even like you in the future. So Jesus lays down the foundation for New Testament behavior when he issued his brand new covenant command. And if you've been around here at all, we talk about this command all the time. Some of you may get tired of me saying it, but as soon as y'all start doing it, I'll stop saying it. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are fantastic at it. But it's that important. Over and over and over, I say it. And Paul refers to this command as the law of Christ. And that command, as you all know, is this. Love others as Jesus loved us. And the core of this series, the things that we're going to be talking about, um, is this, is that, that following Jesus, and we say this a lot around here too, following Jesus will make you better at life living it the way that he teaches us to live it. And that holds true with parenting as well. If you follow Jesus, the way Jesus says, follow me, it will make you a better parent. Because at the core of being a Jesus follower is an ethic of others first, an ethic of selflessness. That is what's at the core of the way Jesus teaches us to live. And nothing surfaces our self-centeredness uh, and our selfishness quicker, quicker and fiercer than raising another human being. Can I get an amen from parents in the room? Yeah, because here's why. Those human beings that we're tasked to raise, they come into the world with one agenda, and it was the same agenda that you came in to the world with. And that agenda is this. What is in it for me? <laughs> Every single person to ever live has entered the world naked and with this agenda. <laughs> what is in it for me? And that is followed up with, I want my way. <laughs> 
And it's hard, especially when they're tiny and they got something going on and they're getting their way. And all of a sudden they don't get their way. What's the reaction? <laughs> right? I was watching before service as uh, I was watching Andy kick the ball around with his completely adorable son. And they were having a good time. And then all of a sudden it was time to go to class and he puts that ball on the shelf and says, we got to go to class. The reaction was not, sure, let's do it. <laughs> the reaction was, no, I wanted the ball. Ah! Now, luckily his kid's awesome. That didn't last very long. But it's the natural reaction in everybody from the beginning. I want my way. And if I don't get my way, if I don't get my way, I'm going to get in your way and make life difficult. It seems to be the mantra for kids. It's as if they have all the kids come and, and have a big conference. Here's how you're supposed to do it, to annoy your parents, to get your way. Because somehow they all figure it out and get kind of on the same page, Right? So from day one, the stage is set for us as parents for a clash of the wills of epic proportions. And some of you are very glad that you don't have neighbors too close to your house because they could hear the battle of the wills going on inside of your four walls. But this, this, this battle of the wills is one that has the potential to bring out the worst in us, the fears in us, the insecurities in us, the anger inside of us. Because as we all know, when you've been a parent, there is no one on the planet that you love more than your child. And there is no one on the planet that can make you angrier quicker <laughs> than your child, right? In fact, you know, let's be honest. A lot of times parenting brings out the ugly in us. And I'll admit that the deepest moments of shame that I have felt as an adult have been um, my self-centered reactions to my children. There are times that I have done things and I, I, when I get a minute to step back from it, cannot believe I am so terrible of a person to have acted the way that I did with my kids. So here's the thing with all of that, is that um, it, it's in the eventual conflict of wills that's gonna take place um, associated with parenting that the core ethic and the core value system of Jesus becomes more relevant than ever. When it is going to rise to the surface, here's, here's why I say that. Um, because anger, insecurity, and fear are all manifestations of self-preservation. Right? They're all manifestations. Uh, 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 and for a lot of us, in many situations, um, it's a, it, a self-preservation of our reputation. Of our reputation because... Here's the thing, both, both, of, these, both of these things um, which fuel the very behavior that can drive a wedge between us is our selfishness and our self-preservation, especially when it comes to our reputation. And the behavior that will cause us to lose influence with our children is when we don't handle these things properly. In fact, one of the reasons that it's so much easier to look at somebody else raising a kid 
and know exactly what they should do, be able to look at their situation and with clarity say, this is the move that parent should make, which let's be honest, we've all looked at someone else's child and said the parent should do this. The reason it's easier for us to see it and to do that is because that kid's poor, ref- poor behavior, that doesn't reflect on us. And since it doesn't reflect on us, we're free from all of the emotional baggage of what we think people will think of us and the fears of what the kid's gonna become and how they're gonna behave and how everything's gonna go. Freed from that, we can look at other people's situations and see it clearly as to the things that we are supposed, that they should do. But when it comes to raising our own kids, their behavior reflects directly back on us, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, what they do and what other people see them doing, that reflects straight on us. And our response to that, to our kids' behavior and the way it's reflecting on us, um, it will reveal a great deal about who or what we are the most concerned with. Um, And when we get it right, and when we're able to keep our ego and our pride in check, And when we're able to respond out of concern for our kids rather than uh, in response to how our kids' behavior reflects upon us and causes people to think about us, that response has the potential to create not just teaching moments, but it has the potential to create defining moments. Defining moments. And, And here's what I mean, is that we all value our reputation. Every one of us. We value our reputation and every one of us value our children who are raising children. Every one of us do. But there will be a time in your parenting experience when one of those values is going to have to be prioritized over the other. Not that you don't value both, but one of them is going to have to be prioritized. And if you don't consciously choose which one you're going to prioritize, there's going to be a default prioritization chosen for you. And it's probably not going to go in the direction of your kids. And one misguided remark in that situation when your children are watching, when they're watching like, oh, is my parent going to value me more or their reputation more? Not that they even are to the point to where they can put that idea together that that's what they're thinking. But they're watching and they're going to feel it. But in that moment, one misguided response or remark has the ability to undo a lot, a lot, a lot of affirmation. You can, you can affirm your child and tell them that you love them and encourage them and everything for, you know, time after time after time after time. But then if there's a moment that you choose your reputation over them, that's going to undo all of it real quick. And even though it's not fair to us as parents who are trying our best and who are only people and so we're inevitably going to make mistakes, it is moments like those that tend to stick in their memory. And it was hard for me as I was sitting here and I'm like, okay, now with this part, I really need to give a good example to clarify what I'm talking about. And as I was thinking about the things that I remember growing up, I thought to myself, given an example of this, 
in my childhood, that might not be fair to my parents. Because I'm sure that they did so much more better. But what do I remember? The times that they messed up. And what kind of a mark that left. And so I don't want to put my parents publicly on blast of this is a moment that sticks in my mind. But you probably have those moments too that you can think of right now where your parents, regardless of how much other good they did, they said or did something that caused you to realize, oh, they value their reputation or themselves more than me. And they might not even realize that they did it. But they did. And those are defining moments. But here's what's true. Is that in those moments, right, when parents choose their reputation, um, in those moments, children feel pushed away. They feel like a distance is created between you and them. Right? They feel that. And when parents choose their kids in those situations, the kids feel drawn in. They feel safer. They feel closer. Right? And here's the thing. <coughs> Even if they can't explain any of this in the moment, they feel it. And eventually they get to the point to where they're able to put words to the feelings that they've had. Now here's the thing. Defining moments, like I've just kind of talked about them, are better than teachable moments. We have teachable moments. You can have those on a daily basis. The defining moments are spread out and a little more important. And they are so easy to miss when as parents, we don't have our ego in check. Right? They're so easy. Um, when our reputation is on the line, the way we respond will leave a mark, good or bad. Now, before I get back to what Jesus had to say um, about it, one more little ancillary lesson kind of surrounding this idea. When it comes to defining moments, like if you're ever in a position of choosing your reputation uh, over your child, um, it is important to put your child first, but... It is just as important not to put your child at the center. It is so easy. In fact, there's a gravitational pull to when you're raising kids to make the child or the children the center of the family in which everything then begins to revolve around them. And before you know it, the children are controlling the entire family dynamic because they have been put at the center, right? And you've seen examples. I know you have. You've seen examples of family where the kids control the entire dynamic, where they have all of the leverage because the parents have put them at the center of absolutely everything. And this is easy to miss, but think about it this way. You were a family before kids showed up. You were. You were a family before kids showed up. Children are a welcomed addition, hopefully, to something that already exists, to something that is already there. Now, in the real, there are variations and levels to this. Um, 
But the principle holds. And this is so important because, let's face it, that gravitational pull is to put children in the center of the family, make everything revolve around them, which in the long run ends up being an absolute mistake. More on that later, but back to where we started. As it turns out, the secret of parenting, are you all ready to write down the secret of parenting? The secret of parenting is actually embedded inside of Jesus' new command, right? A command fueled by the value system of checking your ego at the door, just like Jesus did. Uh, In fact, on that note, uh, the apostle Paul, uh, he said that Jesus, who was in very nature God, so essentially just saying Jesus, who was God, (laughs) did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped for or attained, or to be leveraged for his own benefit. In other words, Jesus, who had every right to have as big of an ego as he wanted because he was God, chose to check his ego at the door. And so if Jesus could do that, then surely we can as well. But Jesus' value system, it's a value system of others first. It's a value system of of sacrificial love. It's a value system of tough love. It's a value system of uh, if you hate me and don't like what I'm saying, so be it. It's a value system of I will not do anything for you if it is not good for you. But the challenge is, is that when Jesus issued his new covenant command, he wasn't talking specifically to parents. But fortunately, the Apostle Paul comes along a few years later and gives us some handles to kind of grab onto when it comes to this thing. He gives us some specific applications. And basically, his message was this. Here is what the Jesus brand of love looks like in the real world and in real relationships. Here's how love behaves under pressure. Here's how love behaves at home. Here's how love behaves when raising your children. And he gives these handles um, in in, in all of his letters. He gives some of these to us. Um, And usually they're in the form of one another. He'll throw that phrase in there. Anytime you see Paul writing and he throws that one another, he's giving you a good idea of what Jesus's love looks like in action. He says things like forgive one another, encourage one another, Carry one another's burdens. Submit to one another. These are all applications of Jesus' New Testament command. But his most famous explanation of what the Jesus brand of love looks like and how it behaves is also, I think, his most instructive for parents to apply to the way that they parent. Now, I've heard this passage talked about in a lot of different concepts. I have never before heard it applied to parenting. Not that it hasn't been, just in my experience in the church, I've never heard it. But it's found in the first letter of Corinthians, which is located, Corinth was located in Greece. And so for the remainder of our time today, we're going to focus on and pay attention to three words. Three words, which some of you might be thinking, good, only three. We're going to wrap up quickly. (laughs) You know me. Three words. Here we go. Here here it is. And you're familiar with this. 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love 
is, and you're all having wedding flashbacks, aren't you? (laughs) That's where it's normally applied. Love is, and again, this is not just any kind of love, right? This This is the kind of love demonstrated by Jesus, the kind of love we're commanded to follow. Love is patient. And when it comes to parenting and looking at that, my response is, oh, why did he have to start there? (laughs) Right? How many have had your children test your patience? (laughs) Yep. How many of you (laughs) have had other people's children test your patience? (laughs) Yep. Why did he have to stop there? Why did he have to start there? How did he know that this would be the biggest challenge for so many of us? One of my worst habits and one of my greatest regrets as a parent with my kids is around the level of patience that I regularly do not have with them. I want them to move quicker. I want them to to understand quicker. I want them to get out of my way quicker. I want them to conform to the way that I want them to behave quicker. And I push for it and push for it and push for it. And I lose my patience on such a regular basis. I mean, it is probably my single greatest failure as a parent is my level of patience with my kids. Because parenting, it involves interruptions to your schedule, right? Your movement, your pace. Right? It requires you to slow down and move at someone else's pace. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, your Facebook will throw up uh, pictures from years and years ago as your memories, and you can share them with other people as you want, and I usually don't, but um, there was one that got shown up, and it was a picture of me and Tech out at the beach. And we were walking along the shoreline, and I had his hand, and he was probably only, I don't know, about this, this tall, however old that is. And we're walking along, and it's from behind, and I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, man. As I was, it just happened to pop up as I was working on this. And, and just the idea of even, even physically, for my son to feel close to me in that moment, I had to adapt to his pace not make him adapt to mine. If we were going to have an enjoyable walk down the beach together, had I insisted that he stayed at my pace, and some of you have seen this with parents in public, walking at their pace, child in tow, you wonder how that arm's not yanked out of socket and the kid's probably starting to cry and squall and complain. For there to be closeness with my son in that moment, For us to experience that together and for there not to be separation between us, I had to adapt to his pace in that moment. And my goodness, what a picture of parenting that idea is. As much as we want to move at our pace through life, that doesn't happen with children. And if you want to be next to them and have them feel close to you and not create distance or create anxiety and fear and angst as you drag them along, you have got to learn to adapt to their pace, not expect them to adapt to yours. That is what love requires of us as a parent. 
And the reason this is so difficult is because patience is not natural. Your natural pace that you want to go, that's natural. (laughs) Not slowing it down. But here's Paul's point. Since God moved at our pace for us, we are to do the same for others. We're to do the same for our children. And if we don't, what happens? If we insist on moving at our own pace, we will separate ourselves from our children. Physically, when we're walking, but emotionally and relationally, if we push them beyond their capacity and where they're at, we separate and we frustrate them. And it's interesting to me because the only thing that Paul writes that is directly addressed to parenting specifically is connected to this dynamic. And he directs it to fathers. And I don't know if he was just really wise with that or what, but here's what he writes. In Colossians, he writes this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. Don't stir them up. Don't insist on winning. Don't insist on outsmarting them, on out-talking them. Don't push too hard. Don't move too fast. Because if you do, here's the end result. Fathers, don't exasperate your children or they will be discouraged. They'll be disheartened. They will eventually lose motivation and they will just stop. Because they can't keep up. And the result of that is separation. If not physically for now, because your kids depend on you for life, then later on in life, that separation will present itself. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking, because this is what I thought as I was working through raising children and Working through it, you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm glad that's in the Bible, Andy. But, but, if we don't push our kids, right? If we don't expect more of them than they expect of themselves, right? If we don't ensure that they reach their maximum potential, then, well, then they may not turn out. To which I would interrupt and be like, turn out what? It may not turn out, what? let me finish that sentence for you. Here's how most people say it. They may not turn out the way you want them to turn out. Which is where the issue of pride as a parent really comes into play. They may not become what you want them to become. So let's pause and think about this for a moment. Is that really, is that really what you want? For them to become exactly what you want them to become. Is that really what you want? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better? Just go with me for a minute. Wouldn't it be better if you were to discover what they were born to do? who they were born to be, what their more natural tendencies are and the things that they're gifted at and then facilitate towards that. Might, theoretically, that be a better way to go than forcing your children to become what you want them to become? 
right? And that's what great parents do. Great parents figure out what their kids are interested in and good at and gifted to do and nudge them in that direction as opposed to insisting that they be what the parents want them to be. I have never, never, never met a father who at the end of his life wishes he had been harder on his children. I'm sure some old coot exists somewhere that has that feeling. I've never met him. I've never met that. However, I have met many fathers who get to the end of their life and have little to no relationship with their adult children because they were insistent that their kids become what they themselves failed to become. What they weren't able to achieve and be in their life, they forced upon their kids and pushed so hard that it created permanent separation. Or, or they pushed so hard on their kids because they were afraid their kids would become exactly what they had become. And they didn't want that either. So, should you inspire your kids? Yes, absolutely. Should you motivate your children? Of course you should. Should you push your kids to the point of exhaustion and frustrated? Absolutely not. Should you compare your kids to others and shame your children? No, because parents, 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 parents. That, doing that is about you. That's not about them. That is about you and your pride and what you want the kids to become. Now, this might help as we talk about so we talk about this idea. Um, do you know what the number one predictor is of both uh, relational and professional success? Here, <laughs> here, here, here's what it is. The number one predictor, not just of professional success, because that's where it's so easy for us to get caught up as parents as we're preparing our kids to leave the nest and flourish, Right? Most of our focus tends to be on you got to be able to be successful and pay bills and create a life for yourself. And we get really focused on that part, right? But, but the, the emotional, relational aspect of it as well, the number one indicator is this, self-awareness. Self-awareness is the number one indicator of both professional and relational Success, which is the very close cousin of emotional intelligence. Which if you want to do some good reading to kind of set you up to be a better parent, start, start looking at a few books that deal with emotional intelligence. Because emotional intelligence and self-awareness is what results in personal security as opposed to insecurity. And do you know what the number one contributing factor to a person's security is? It's their home life. It's how safe they felt at home. One of the best examples, I told you last week that I, there are times that as I saw people who had the relationship with their children that I wanted when I had kids, I would talk to them and I would ask them some things. Um, one of the best examples that I've seen of this whole idea is the story uh, of something that a dad said to his son as his son was transitioning from high school into college. And the dad basically said this to him. He said, son, I will support you in whatever you want to do. 
whatever. I will support you. But until you know what it is that you want to do, will you trust me to point you in a direction? Right, to point you into direction so that you go into college with, with some sort of direction, not just completely aimless and not having anything to work for and to keep you motivated. Right, so the son agreed, which says a lot about the relationship that they had up to that point. Sure, dad, I don't know what I want to do in life yet. So until I decide, and I'm going to have your support on that, I'll let you point me in a direction and I'll work that way until I figure it out. Right, so the son agreed. And this guy suggested that his son start as a business major with the goal of getting into law school. Start there, start working on that. And when you figure out that there's something else you want to do, we're all in. Kid went to business school, got into law school, and is now a successful practicing attorney. And the thing that's interesting is this, is that when his dad gave him that goal, it wasn't based on what his dad wanted him to be and wanted to do. It wasn't based on how proud would I be of a, as a parent if my son were a lawyer? How good would that reflect on me to have raised such an intelligent, productive human being? No, he gave him that suggestion based not on his son's interest at the time, but based on his aptitude at the time. And the things that he seemed to naturally be good at. And so he pointed them in that direction. And that is such a great approach. When you choose, we're all in. But until you choose, will you allow me to point you in a direction? Right? And that's such a great approach. But what about, what about, I can hear some people saying, yeah, yeah, Andy, but what about, what about, what about? What about, what about when he goes to college and, uh, you know, you spend all the money on tuition? Maybe they decide to want to go to an out-of-state school. Let's jack it up with some out-of-state tuition, right? And then they graduate and everything's going good. And then all of a sudden they come and they say, Dad, Mom, I've decided I want to be a stand-up comic. <laughs> right? What do you do then? What do you do then? Here are the typical thoughts. I didn't pay for tuition to college for you to be a stand-up comic. We can picture most parents responding like that, right? You have to pay the bills somehow. You can't be a stand-up comic. What are people going to think? Oh, there it is. When they hear my college-educated child has given up on their career to be a stand-up comic, how is that going to reflect on me. Nothing against stand-up comics. Just, I tried to just pick the craziest thing I could think of. <laughs> but listen, your responsibility as a parent, and this is so hard for us to wrap our minds around, but your responsibility as a parent is not to choose or decide what your kids are going to do with their life. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to prepare them to step into whatever they choose and then put your weight behind what they do with their life because it is, after all, their life. This is what great parents do. This is what the parents that I see who have the relationships with their adult children that I want with my children when they're adults. Because love is patient. Love isn't pushy. It doesn't exasperate. 
Love doesn't drive a wedge between. It doesn't allow ego and reputation to dictate tone or pace of the relationship. And love, because of patience, maintains influence the entire time. So a couple questions as we wrap up this piece of, uh, as we, this piece of the series. Um, who in your life feels rushed by you? When you look at the way you're handling your relationship with your kids, do they feel like they are being rushed? Do they feel unnecessary pressure in their chest when you walk into the room? Right? Are they being driven away? Are they being driven away by your effort to bring out the best in them? And, and, what would it look like? You don't have to commit to this right away, but just start thinking. What would it look like? What would it require from you to adjust your pace to theirs as opposed to insisting that they adjust theirs to yours? And I know that this idea may scare you and this idea, you know, seems to on the surface take away some of the control that you may have, especially as kids get closer to leaving the house. But here's what should fear cause fear in you even more so. Losing relationship with your child, either now or down the road. So what would it take to adjust your pace to theirs? Because that is what love, the Jesus brand of love, requires of you as a parent. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for things like this that, that bring difficult questions to our mind. But Lord, I, I am confident if I was to speak with every single parent in this room, every single one of them would say, I want to have a quality relationship with my child when they're adults. So Lord, let us begin to view our current parenting through that lens. What do we need to do? What changes do we need to make? How much of our pride and ego do we need to set down? How much of our pace do we need to change so that our children feel drawn into us, not pushed away? So that we do not drive a wedge in the relationship between us and our children. And then God, give us the wisdom to understand how to implement these things and the courage to go through with it. Lord, I thank you that you demonstrated this type of love for us. Let us now turn and demonstrate it for our children. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, looking forward to next week as we continue on in this series in parenting. And also look forward to seeing as many of you as we can at small group tonight, four o'clock.